Welcome to the Next Brave Thing podcast. This is part two of my interview with Dr. Amy Lee Wicks, my good friend on uh, creating from stillness. So we're diving straight back into the episode. If you haven't listened to part one, feel free to go back and listen to that so you get full context. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Wow, that's so powerful. And I think, I mean, I've had similar moments where I've literally, like when I went back to Australia recently, it was like a, it's time to go slow. Like, and um, as you're talking about this, because the hustle is so sexy, (laughs) it's so like alluring, Um, you know, productivity is so, you know, you get the clap at that, you get the praise. And I love that you're it's all, almost this experience. It, it could have gone, your brain could have gone like into hopelessness of like, this is all I'm going to be and into like this low, low place, which I'm sure at times it would probably seesaw into that. <laughs> but um, it's like you got another, you got a revelation of time and how, yeah, and I, and I it sounds like you got given a new operating system, a new internal pace. And that pace is so, um, like, I've got the word hammocked, like it's like you're held, like it's, you know, I think when we're hustling, we feel like we're not held, like there isn't this sense of, um, if I stop, everything will fall apart. And I love that you kind of got to re-engage or or come at time differently. So tell me about time. What have you learned about time? It's such a beautiful way of putting it. Vani, she's a painter in Blenheim. And I lived with her and her husband, Dave, and one of their sons, Jared, for a time when I was in New Zealand and my husband was in the States. And because screens and books and things were too challenging for me generally they would tax my brain even when I could read and write I just I found it very frustrating and not it didn't draw me the way it used to it sort of there was a I had a very small margin for what I was able to do there and so Vani got me into oil painting Mm. and I found I could sit and mix colors and I could spend hours just applying them I didn't worry about what the picture would turn out like I didn't worry about what color was coming next she gave me she really embodied slowing down for me Mm. when I first moved into her guest room um, I woke up early in the morning and she came out in her robe and she put her hand on me and she's like oh no girlfriend you are just you're just gonna rest tomorrow and I (laughs) I felt like she she put something in my in my spirit something over me because the next morning I I'd woken up early I still had to work remotely still had to I still had to achieve in my mind even mm. though I couldn't mm. um the next morning I woke up at like 10 a.m mm. and I was like what has she done to me <laughs> and I started to expand in that space I started to realize oh maybe this isn't the season for copywriting or poetry or consulting as much maybe this maybe as those things 
float farther from my little island. It felt like they kind of broke off and were floating away. These other things were magnetized mm. toward me, and one of them was color. One of them mm. was painting. And so that began the next year's journey of me painting when I moved to the States. My husband and I moved moved back here to Northern California. He would go to work, and I would find myself on the porch kind of watching squirrels, looking at grass, mm. setting up my easel, and painting. And that was my only thing to do for the whole day. And that would have been torture to me if you had told me, you're not going to leave home. You're going to just be home with you and your coffee pot and... Mm -hmm. I would have thought, oh no, I need people, I need mm -hmm. noise, I need loud, I need tall, I need all of it. Um, now I found myself waking up with a smile on my face thinking, I have a day with just me and color yeah. and quiet and air and mm. blue sky and or rain. And I just, everything was delicious and the small things became worth spending time thinking about and looking at without any real pointed reason for thinking because I think prior to this I took in information very much oriented toward what what juice can I extract from this and put toward something and now mm. everything just came into it was just about being yeah yeah and it's so interesting because even knowing like just because we and I haven't mentioned this but we work at a university together and you you were teaching um a couple of hours like last year and then now you're full-time and it's funny because when I've been there from the beginning so I watch people come into our environment with like this desire for like a role and they desire um which is so human like mm -hmm. to be like oh I'd love to get that leadership position and and you're head of drama now which is amazing but I've watched just observed you and it's so beautiful to watch this deep place of security you know if it's it, it's this belief of like what is mine will find me and you didn't like fight for it you were like <laughs> so surrendered in it and I think this season of stillness in recognizing probably which feels risky it's like a good thing's going to come to me if I don't work for it if I don't make it happen if I don't f go b go after something by force and sure there's seasons of life like you're in a busier season now mm -hmm. <laughs> but even just observing your approach to taking on this role and um, it being it's almost like because there hasn't been this internal striving thing there's been more of an ease and a peace and even our environment you can feel the peace especially around performers we want to perform <laughs> and so I'm curious to know and like having an accident being alone in it would trigger a sense of insecurity but what have you learned about security oh these questions so good so you good. bring it out of me if someone could just get Ella to ask them questions I feel like their life would be better um yeah I think I I think I thought that I was 
operating out of a place of security when I was totally crawling, you know? And probably parts of you were. Yeah, like there, I would were, say. there were parts of me that's like, we're going to smash this. We're going to, yeah. we're just going to get there. We're going to be on to the next thing. Oh, something else is coming. Got to catch that. And being slowed down to the point, I remember I had this very strange vision um, a couple of months before I was healed. And when I say healed, I mean it felt like, literally it felt like someone peeled the film off my iPhone and I could see it clearly, except it was my eyes, my brain, all of those things. But wow. before that I had this vision of myself, I was awake and I was sitting on my floor and I had this vision of myself in a car driving along a really rocky coastal cliff and the car careened off the edge, went into the sea and I was in it and then the windshield smashed and I was out of it and I, I watched, it's very, sorry this is a bit graphic, but I watched myself fight to get to the surface and I watched myself fail to get to the surface and mm. I watched myself drown and fall and when I hit the sa- sand, kind of like Aladdin, <laughs> When yeah. he finally hits the sand, yeah. sand and his whole body just gives. I saw that happen, and then a moment later, I saw a second set of eyelids open. And mm. I watched these kind of slits on my neck open. And I these new eyes opened, and I realized there was an underwater world that I could breathe in now that I had finally died to the thing that I thought was the only kind of life available to me. Wow. And... I think I'll spend a good portion of the rest of my life unpacking whatever that vision meant yes. and is, <laughs> is meant yeah. to mean. But, but I know for me, it was incredibly comforting because there was a real surrender and a yield to things might not look the same, but there is a different kind of life available to me. And, and then months later when I actually was healed, when I could move without headaches, when I could look at the sun, when I could run and play and think critically, Mm. I found myself mourning the time of rest that I had come out of, even though everything in me fought against that rest, fought against the suffering. Yes. That vision sort of told me, hey, there was a gift in there for you. And so then after that, when I started applying for jobs, when I took work at the university with you when I took your Mm. work at the community college nearby teaching different classes and sort of filling my plate slowly I noticed that I left a lot more room on the plate and it's funny because if if you go to a a nice restaurant it seems like the nicer the restaurant the more white space there is on the plate Mm, that's so true (laughs) and I'm not saying I wouldn't go out for fast food after eating a meal at a place like that but yeah But I am saying there is something incredibly beautiful about being satisfied with particular things being placed on a largely empty plate, getting to like savor them and enjoy them. And as my workload has increased, as my life has returned to a new normal, I have found I'm not interested in army crawling or spinning plates. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in being, and if mm. that being involves teaching, I've I also got a download of a sort of rhythm that I, I believe I'm meant to live in for the rest of my life, and I got it before I could even do these things. But wow. um, 
the rhythm was rest, play, create, teach, and then back to rest, and then play, create, teach. And I feel if I stay in that rhythm, if I say yes to things in that rhythm and in that order particularly, wow. then, then I don't ever... I don't ever have to go back to wondering if I'm significant or if I have meaning. I just, yes, a child doesn't wonder if they're significant. Yeah. They just, when they want a peanut butter sandwich, they ask for it. And when they want to go back and play with the blocks, they go back and play with the blocks. Yeah. And when they want to show someone what they've done, they do it without shame. And, mm-hmm. and I feel it's an invitation I'll continue to step into and there are lessons in it that I'll continue to learn. But that's really... Yeah, that's so powerful. That's so profound as you're sharing that, um, it reminds me of creativity. It needs space to breathe. And I think when we're hustling and there's this subconscious current or subconscious fear that this is going to be mediocre, mediocre. Um, but I love like that, yeah, this kind of concept that you're talking about of resting, playing, creating, teaching, that cycle is such a powerful cycle to get caught up in. And it reminds me of um, Brene Brown talks about creativity and how she gets all her brilliant genius ideas. And she has to, before she writes a book, and she's a New York Times bestseller, like she's obviously very talented. And before she can even get into the work of writing, she needs to binge watch hours of British crime dramas and play pickleball. Yes, I love that. <laughs> like, and then she gets in like a flow state. And it's almost like I know I've approached this to create with creativity. Like I need to write um, an hour every day and I need to do all these things. And there's sort of this like rigid structure. And But it's when we're in a place of um, calm in our bodies, there's no pressure. It's usually when our creative ideas come. Um, so I love that concept. And I guess, like, how would you recommend creating, like, momentum and consistency in creating? Because ob- you obviously have a huge body of work in poetry. And, yeah, like, how has that concept played into your now practice if that makes sense great I I definitely had a rigid structure prior to my head injury I did write every day yeah um, and what I found afterwards was that those rhythms became less about controlling my output and as I began to write again I found I found myself checking in with myself and what I needed in the season. Mm. So if it was, if it was time to write or if I had a project, um, I would set goals and they would be small and they'd be bite-sized. This sounds strange, but to me, an egg timer is the best investment you can make yeah. if you're creative. Yeah. I set seven minutes and I take out my journal and my pen and I try to write as messy as possible because. This way my thoughts can be even messier than my handwriting and it'll be okay. And I just let what comes, comes. And at seven minutes when that timer goes off, I set my pen down. Even if I'm going to pick it up and write for the next eight hours, I'm going to do it in increments and I'm going to start respecting my brain and what I'm communicating with it. The same way I would 
if I were exercising and I were just starting to run, I might say, okay, today we're going to run for four minutes. And if the timer goes off at four minutes and I'm like, no, we can do this. Let's keep going. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm sending a message to my own body that wouldn't be fair if I were sending it to someone else. Mm. It's, it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm no longer interested in tricking myself into high performance. Wow. I'm more interested in working with myself to stack habits and to yeah. have them serve me and to to consider and reconsider what what habits do I currently have that are serving me? What changes? I'm not afraid of softening. I'm not afraid of altering. I I trust the process mm. and I trust a rhythm. Mm. And I do love rhythm, so I, I'm not against habits at all. I just mm. I just feel like my habits are less dictatorial and more conversational with myself. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and that yeah. serves me well. Yeah, it's so kind. Yeah, it's so gentle and um, feels really holistic because your body's involved, your mind, your heart. Because I think like when we're loving our future well, future self well we want to have you know good practices that serve our future self but it's less of I know when I first started therapy and that sort of thing it was like I need to drag myself into the therapist's office or drag myself into the gym because you know there was a sense of like there's something broken and I need to fix it and sometimes we're like that with creativity of like I need to practice my instrument or practice writing more so I am less. So it comes from that shame, not enough place. Whereas I feel like your approach just from hearing you talk about it comes from a really whole, I'm already whole, I'm already enough. And what delights us, what, what coming from a place, I had a therapist say like, rather than being motivated from a place of like shame and force, and it's so subconscious none of us really know that it's from shame or whatever it is but it's more learning how to be motivated from passion and love like and yeah I love like this concept because it kind of encapsulates that concept it's really cool absolutely that's that's beautiful yes I've I, I don't think I realized that part of how I fueled myself was by convincing part of myself that the other part was really naughty and needed to be dragged along like a kitten yeah and that I don't a kitten because it's kind of helpless right and you yeah can, you can pull it along and it'll scratch into the ground and you just think yes you know but but at some stage switching and realizing like I am an incredibly creative being mm-hmm. and actually I won't yeah eat the whole world if if yeah. I'm allowed to consider what is it that I want to feed myself with whether it's my body my soul my spirit I can actually have a conversation I'm a good dinner party guest I'm worth having a conversation with myself rather than trying to drag myself through life to meet these milestones that I've set up out of fear or shame like you said it's 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 incredible how negativity can drive us and get us really far. Yeah, it's just, it does. Yeah, it just doesn't let us become mm. who we were actually designed to become. Yeah, yeah, and it takes a great deal of awareness to quieten and down and like listen to your body. 
and take note of the cues. And I know for me, like addicted to coffee, <laughs> it's like I wouldn't, I'd be drinking coffee and not aware that I'm dehydrated and I don't even want it. <laughs> like, but once you start like taking careful attention to that, it's you become more tuned in. And I think when we're tuned in, we come into alignment and then we start taking aligned action and there's more fruit. Sometimes we're making all this busy noise and not really finding fruit. So I love that it's like you received this beautiful invitation, which would have been incredibly painful to stop. And so if you're listening and you have you're, you've had an accident or maybe it's a marriage breakdown or a breakup or we had these hard, heartbreaking, traumatic experiences where, like Amy Lee, you're out of control or at the mercy of the situation in some ways. What would you say to them, Amy? Mm. Be kind mm -hmm. to yourself. And that's easier said than done. It really requires, um, I sometimes found myself needing to speak to myself as if I were someone other than myself. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize my language had been formed so much around getting results from this person called myself. And so when I kind of laid that down and recognized I'm, I'm not going to get the results, there's no amount of pushing I can do I then started listening so I would say be kind listen and when and as you can take joy in really small moments celebrate really small victories mm. if you had a sip of water from a cup celebrate yourself for hydrating yeah if you finally had a big cry about the thing that you've been bottling and bottling just go ahead and love on yourself. That's beautiful. It's worth celebrating. Mm. Um, I think the things worth celebrating aren't often the things that we want to be celebrated right. for. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think I think kindness and, and mm. compassion and slowing down and and really asking is there is there something in this space and in this season for me that wouldn't have existed outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, I mean, to celebrate you, you're one of the most detailed encourager and noticer I've noticed. Like you're really amazing at encouraging and it's because you have an ecosystem of celebration and it sounds like you cultivated that in the stillness and you had to kind of look for the teeny tiny wins and I think that's the gift of the suffering is it makes you notice. And it's beautiful because you effortlessly will encourage and notice such beauty in other people. And it just is such a great thing to have in the atmosphere, in the, in the inner culture, you know. So I celebrate that. And I can imagine, like, if anyone is going through something that is requiring like permission to just rest like you mentioned like waking up 10 o'clock in the morning and like 
um, it's so important to not fight it. <laughs> and like, it's almost like trying to fight it creates all this exhaustion and energy, but there's something powerful that happens in surrender. So we invite you if you're in that situation that there's a gift in in your situation, in your season that might not be there at any other time. So take hold of it. Um, but it's been such a dream having you on, Amy Lee. And um, and if anyone wanted to get your books or anything like that, where, they, where can they find you? Check them out on Amazon. Yeah. The Dangerous Country of Love and Marriage. Love that. Amy Lee Ricks. Yes. And in final closing... Would there be anything that you would want to say to your past self? Like, would is it like, would, yeah, would there be anything that you would want to say to your past self coming from where you're at now? I think, funny enough, I have now very little to no judgment of my past self, which is strange because. <laughs> so good. <laughs> because. Before this season, yeah. even though I felt I was driving forward in the same direction, I always looked back on what I had done and who I was with a kind of, oh, that was nothing, or oh, that wasn't yeah. enough. And, and that's part of how I was able to fuel, whereas now I look back and I think, oh, what a wonderful girl you were. Oh, you had these big dreams. Oh, I see why you made those decisions. Yes. Because there really are all of us, when we're making decisions, we're doing the best we can yeah. with what we know. And so for me, this particular suffering, the season of entering rest, of surrender and of yield, was was and is an invitation to also have received a new knowledge yes. that gives me incredible compassion and celebration oh. for who I was and where I've been so far. So I would say... You're doing great. Play. Have fun. Rest when you can. And if you can't, oh, your time of rest will come and it Mm -hmm. will be okay. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone listening, that is a sign of healing when you don't have judgment towards the part of you that was striving or the part of you that, you know, like that is a form of healing is when you can pay a compassionate attention to the different versions of self so if you're holding judgment towards yourself feel permission to let that go i love that so beautifully said i love it thank you for coming on today thanks for having me ella this was incredibly special Mm, very special thank you